You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women, both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight and won't steer you wrong, Johnny Appleseed himself, Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Hard to believe we are in the month of December. Last month of the year, some call it December. some call it just one step closer to Christmas. I don't know. Maybe you're uh, tired of listening to Christmas music already. It's kind of funny because uh, every time around the holidays at my in-law's house, you know, Christmas is already started. In fact, a lot of the time, the week of Thanksgiving, that's just the time in which you get your Christmas lights out, your Christmas decorations, and you start seeing Christmas carols and everything else in that house. And it, it does kind of drive my, my wife a little bit crazy. But I, I have to give it to my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and, and my in-laws, they do not come from a hunting family. But she does this for me every year, and she thinks it's hysterical, and so do I. She hangs a reindeer up upside down like it's hanging from a gambrel in the tree in their front yard and puts red lights from right behind the shoulder hanging down onto the ground to make it look like somebody shot a deer, and I think it's hysterical. So that what's, that's what puts me in the Christmas mood every year. But, man, December 4th, that means it is... Day four of Advent Beer Calendar, and tonight we are having an Outer Dark Baltic Porter, one pint. I have never had one of these beers, and I said Advent Beer Calendar because my boss uh, gets us this, it's uh, 24 days leading up to Christmas, all these different beers that uh, somebody puts together and it's the history and information about these beers and I'm not much of a beer drinker but he buys it for us and uh, I try to partake so let's see how this one tastes it's much better than that awful IPA that I had the last time my goodness (laughs) you know uh, speaking of IPAs it makes me think of my dad and uh, we just came back from deer season, from deer camp, and I had a blast. Every year, I have a blast. I look forward to it. I, I talk about it. I hype it up with my buddies and my family and everything else, and it gets here, and at the snap of a fingers, it's all over, but you know what? We had a lot of fun. Thursday, we put in uh, a group hunt. We had, I think it was about 12 of us on Thursday. And it was just our camp, and we, we did some pushes and saw a pile of deer. But do you think that we could get anything to work in our favor to get shooting? Uh, we had one shot, 
at a doe, and that was it. Now, we saw some deer. We saw some good bucks. They just either didn't go to the right people or just found a way to sneak out. That's the way it goes. <clears throat> Friday, we had uh, had my brother-in-law. We had Robbie. You know, Robbie used to help co-host on the show a little bit, um, but my brother-in-law and his family came down from their camp and joining forces up, they brought another eight people. We had 20 guys, and we made some drives in some areas, and we had a great hunt. My friend Anthony shot his first buck ever on the first drive of the morning. He was ecstatic, and I was ecstatic for him. I was so excited. And, <clears throat> you know, new hunter, he only shot his first deer last year. He, he started hunting uh, a few years ago, but he shot his first deer last year it was a doe and he was happy but you know being there and seeing him get he put a great shot on it it snuck out of the drive early on out of a chop off and it was on the move uh slowly but on the move and he hit it perfectly behind the shoulder a great shot didn't go anywhere and he was just beside himself excited and i have to compliment him i have seen a lot of people gut deer over the years i have seen you know some first time deer hunters gut deer i've seen people that have hunted their whole life gut deer and they didn't do as nice of a job as he did on his first one he did a clean job he didn't take forever i was i was i was just proud to be there with him and share that moment share that experience we had a good time and then uh, another another one of the group uh guys in the group shot a nice buck we had a couple other misses a couple other that snuck out i actually shot a deer um Shot it for a doe and ended up being a button buck. I didn't really take much time. I just noticed it was an antlerless deer when I shot it and got up. I was like, really? Didn't take a little bit extra time. I just got excited in the moment. But you know what? It'll eat. Uh, I needed some deer for, for jerky, and it was uh, it was part of the hunt. So I'll take the razzing for shooting a button buck. That's okay. At the end of the day, it was uh, it was legal, and that's all that matters. But, you know, here we are. We're closing out rifle season this week you know i hope you guys enjoyed your deer season um this is like uh a lot of the people with for this this is the main course you know some of the main course might be archery season but no matter how you look at it the the two main parts of deer season are coming to an end archery and now rifle is closing out this week and that just leaves late season that leaves flintlock deer season flintlock late season and I really enjoy flintlock muzzleloader hunting. And I know there's uh, there's a lot of people out there that do as well. I also know there's a lot of people who are on the fence about it. Maybe they want to go, maybe they don't want to go. But if you're if you're at that point where you're you want to do some hunting, I with the flintlock, I really suggest staying on and listening to this episode because this week I am speaking with John Royer from Leatherwood Outdoors. Now, if you don't know who John is, John is one of the OGs of YouTube. He and his buddy started their YouTube channel years ago with just the goal, <coughs> excuse me, just the goal of sharing their hunts and having a place where their hunts could be to, to have their friends go and watch them or their family go and watch their hunts. And that snowballed into some videos that have over a million views. I think some of them might even have over 2 million views. Um, and some really exciting stuff. But some of my favorite hunts early on were those late season hunts, whether it was the ones with the bow and arrow or it was with the flintlocks. 
And since then, John has really enjoyed late season hunting. He's he's taken it to the next level. He's connected himself with people who do the the whole uh, you know periods dress where they they dress up you know somebody in the 1700s doing a hunt through the through the wilderness, and he films these hunts and and hunts that style with a lot of really cool handmade gear. Uh, Pennsylvania long rifles. Uh, he does a lot of really interesting stuff, but he's just somebody that knows a lot about flintlocks, has a lot of interest in flintlocks, and it just a wealth of knowledge, right? He just has a lot of experience because he's tinkered with stuff so much. So we're going to talk about uh, all things late season deer hunting. We're going to talk about accuracy gains for him over the years and that evolution that he went through as a flintlock muzzleloader hunter. We're going to talk about anything from load development just a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, bullet performance. Mostly it's going to revolve around those accuracy gains and just some experiences in how to just have an overall better shooting experience with your muzzleloader. You know, from practicing schemes to um, just having an understanding of how to take care of your gun. Uh, but it's an all-around back-and-forth BS session around flintlock muzzleloader hunting. I think a lot of you, wh- wherever you come from on the knowledge base of flintlock muzzleloaders, you're going to enjoy this episode because John's a, a hoot to talk to. He's a he's a, a great deer hunter, avid deer hunter, and uh, yeah, just, just always set some time aside in the wintertime to do flintlock hunting. And uh, it's a great episode. Before we get to it, uh, let's give our shout out, do our housekeeping radix hunting guys i just pulled a bunch of my cameras in the big woods and some of those were radix cameras they did a great job and i am really just stoked to continue to use those cameras i still have a couple of my m cores out uh still sending me daily updates daily uh quality pictures videos are flawless if i set it on a video mode and i've i've got the ability to just quickly make those changes from the app the scout tech app um, really good stuff there also be sure if you check out radix hunting check out the stick and pick accessories for for camera mounts and adapters and things like that really good stuff there i enjoy using them whether it's in food plots or, or trees or fence posts or whatever the tree stands i'm using radix tree stands this year quiet comfortable uh really secure i'm really happy with the way they set the trees and they got a lot of other stuff to offer so check out radix hunting with that let's get to this episode with john royer So uh, joining me on this week's show, I've got a, a repeat guest. I've got John Royer from Weather, Leatherwood Outdoors. John, thanks for uh, thanks for joining this evening. What's going on? Yeah, g- glad to be on. Uh, it's it's been a crazy deer season so far. I've uh, been seeing lots of doe. Uh, <laughs> I think I saw over twenty five tonight. Maybe getting closer to thirty. Just a couple bucks that probably weren't legal. But uh, don't know where the big bucks are, but at least I'm seeing deer, and I already had two doe tag filled out here on opening day. And um, you know, I'm I'm more or less just going out to walk around because uh, I'm my wife is due uh, with our second child here pretty soon, so in a week, couple weeks. So 
uh, we're just preparing for that. Well, congratulations. That's a uh, very exciting thing. Definitely a life-changing event, but that that's fantastic. So congratulations. How's it been? Uh, have you been able to get out in hunting season leading up to that point, or what's that been like? Uh, well, I had opening day, and then I think I've been out two other days since then just walking around um, just when I get time because we're just doing this last-minute stuff trying to get everything gathered up. Um, I also have a a beef farm with my brother so right before deer season we were moving cattle and separating them and shipping them off to sale and all that kind of stuff so i was trying to get all this stuff done all this big work before winter comes deer season comes and the baby comes so <laughs> uh th- right now i'm just if i get out another day in this uh, second part of the week i'll be happy but uh uh if not then that's fine with me because uh, i already got two deer yeah, it's a busy time of year. We were talking a little bit before we got started here about, you know, target-rich environment and high-dough populations and stuff like that. And, you know, you uh, you just posted your video of your opening day and, you know, blasting a couple dough there, um, which was unique because you used uh, two unique rifles. I've seen uh, I've seen the one on uh, on before. I'm not sure if I saw the other, the other one or not, but uh, that was kind of neat. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, the, the 3040 Crag, um, I used that. That was my grandfather's gun. He had it. And at Christmas, uh, you know, he had a bunch of other guns. Uh, so we wanted to give, uh, the grandkids each a gun. So he would start giving his guns away, uh, so that we weren't fighting af- out over them, you know, when, he, if he passed. So he knew he was getting up there. He wanted to start giving some guns away. It was pulled by draw, you know, pick, pick a number out of hat. My cousin got that 3040 Craig and I said, Hey, Soon as, uh, as soon as I get a chance, I want to shoot deer with that gun. He said, sure thing. Now, I got a 2520, which I have used in the videos in the past, um, shooting deer with. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that gun is, uh, oh man, it, it, I tell you, if you ever get to work in action on a 3040 Crag, it is some, one of the smoothest actions you'll ever use in a rifle. Um, and then the other rifle was a, uh, Mosin Nagant. Uh, Russian sniper rifle, uh, with the original, uh, scope that comes with them. And, uh, that was, uh, my friend Ron's and he allowed me to borrow it. Now he's brought that gun up in the past. Um, even years ago when we first started, uh, videotaping, but he, we could never get a video of shooting a deer with the motion of gun. Um, and he's killed some deer with it, um, on the property, but we never had any chance to get video of it. And I said, you know what? I said, I know I'm just going to shoot doe. I said, I know there's some big bucks, but I said, you know what? It, these big bucks are running, you know, even though we might have maybe uh, around 275 acres and about half of that we don't even hunt because it's, it's open field and stuff like that and, uh, up next to the neighbors too. So we don't hunt right on the edge. So we're all kind of pushed in, but I said, those deer are running miles, you know, all over the place. They could be on the next neighbor's property a mile and a half from us. I said, you know what? I start seeing doe and whacking them with these things uh, because I think it's I think it's just fun using these old guns. Um, and so, yeah, I took a, a deer with each one of those and probably the best shot I ever made with a rifle open sight. I said in the video I thought that was a hundred yards. Well, the day that I was out walking around, my friend John Nugent, I just happened to see him and he said, "Hey, I'm going to go out looking for a doe." I said, "Well, why don't you go sit in my deer stand?" I said, "I'm going to go walk through the woods see if I can sneak up on a big buck." You sit in my deer stand, you see this, you see a doe, shoot it. He goes, okay. Well, he got in that stand and range find where I shot that deer. He says 157 yards. That's an impressive shot <laughs> right there. 
<laughs> I didn't think it was over a hundred, but he, he's like, I was like, no, I said, I, I, I thought maybe right at a hundred. He goes, no, it was 157. I'm like, that, that's, I, I, I would probably say that's probably the best shot I ever made with an open sight gun, even a flintlock. Cause yeah. all my other best shots were with flintlocks. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it in today's day and age, how many other times do you, uh, use open sights. I mean, most people, the answer is no. I can tell you personally, I have never shot a deer with open sights except with a flintlock muzzleloader. I've never hunted with a with a with a centerfire rifle that was open sights. Every gun I've ever shot for deer hunting has had a, a scope on it, and usually a, a pretty high power scope at that. But you know, for me, I've always enjoyed flintlocks. And watching your videos, I really know, like I. I I kind of want to talk about the evolution you've gone through with flintlock hunting because it's been fun watching your videos over the years. But I'm kind of curious when you when you think about deer hunting and the seasons and everything, where does flintlock hunting rank for you? I would have to say it's uh, I, I if you were to say which season would you want to hunt to try to kill a big buck. In my personal opinion, it would be flintlock season. Um, this is something that's down the road that I'd like to do. Uh, but right now with kids, you know, I'm already chasing a two-year-old around. When I get some time, what I'd like to do is go into the big woods on public land in the middle of nowhere and hunt flintlock for big bucks. Because I have seen so many bucks and nice bucks, and I've, sn- I've snuck up on so many in muzzleloader season that I didn't shoot at, um, that were really nice, but I didn't shoot at, that I, I feel that's the best time that you can sneak up on big bucks. You can sneak up because you got the snow, uh, on the ground, you can see them and you can be, depending on, you know, if the snow's crunching or not, but you get that white powder, you can be a lot more quiet. And, uh, I just like hunting in that. You can sneak up on so many more deer, I think that way than, then, then being in an archery stand, yeah, it's, if you, if you're in a really good spot during a rut, but it's still a lot of that just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, just waiting for it to happen. Where, with a footlock, I know when I go in the woods, I'm going to see a deer. Regardless, I'm going to be sneaking up on a deer almost every time I go in the woods. If you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil, you need to check out Vitalize Seed Company. Vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their 1-2 planting system. The system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically, optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way God intended. Reduce your inputs, build your soil, and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area. Find out more about this system and get your seed at vitalizeseed.com. And be sure to check them out on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second generation camera from the Gen series line. With premium video and audio recording capabilities, this product has become well respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen Series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick and pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? 
Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania and have a peek. Now, back to the show. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, it has to be condition-based then if, if you're seeing that. I mean, I have, I've had some experiences with mature deer in the late season, um, but I can't, I got to be honest with you, a lot of my late season hunting, I'm, fortunately, I'm usually done buck hunting, so I don't have to worry about it. And then a lot of time we're, we're group hunting with people making some drives and stuff with the flintlock. So my, my solo sneaking around that time of year has been a lot, uh, a lot more minimal than, uh, than most, but that's interesting that you say that. Have you been able to tag a buck with a flintlock muzzleloader? Yeah, the first year I ever hunted with a footlock, I killed a buck. Wow. Uh, it was actually the very first year that we had the antler restrictions. That was 2002. Mm. That was when I first started our uh, footlock hunting. Uh, I was hunting with a friend of mine who got me into footlock hunting because I didn't even think, I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, I'm like, right. there's another season. I, what What is this? And, um, you know, we're still in high school at this point. And he's like, yeah, he goes, let's go down. We'll go down to your camp and we'll go shoot dog. You know, that's all it was. You know, you at, still at that time, you didn't see bucks in flintlock season. Mm. You know, we're still talking the first year of the antler restrictions and we're still getting used to this. So that year, there are a lot of bucks made it through because the first year was three up it, where we were at. Mm -hmm. So it had to have three points on the side. Uh, because then the next year, um, when they did the western side of the state, was four points to a side. Well, that first year where, we're, where we were at in WMU2D, it was three points on a side. And we hunted all day, and we didn't see – we didn't really see much. And there's a high wall that we usually like to look over, and we, we'll catch the deer down over the high wall this rocky high wall and we could just see the legs walking well my friend he milked cows at a local farm he's like i gotta go i gotta go milk cows <laughs> i said all right well i'm gonna sneak down there by myself well i snuck down there by myself and i just saw a doe and then boom i just saw one two three and his, his head went behind the hemlock branch i'm like that that deer is definitely legal just pulled up shot and dropped right in his tracks just and, that um, easy but then i yeah. Uh, then I had to haul him up. The worst part was uh, I had to haul him clear up over that rocky thing. It took me the rest of the, the day to do that um, by myself. It wasn't a big buck. It was uh, it was actually the smallest buck I ever shot. Um, it was just a average basket rack, six point, um, uh, all no brow tines um, on it, and. Uh, so I, I took that to my buddy and he's just looking at me. He's like, you got to be kidding me, you know, cause hardly anybody shot bucks in footlock season back then. And so then I was, I was hooked and, and that was with an old, an old true glow sight, synthetic stock, silver barreled CBA muzzleloader. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Which is commonly what a lot of people use in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, when I got started, I was buying the cheapest thing, you know, it was, a, it was a kit for 150 bucks at the local sporting goods store, and it came with a box of bullets, and it came it came with everything that you needed but the powder. And I'm like, okay, I, why not? And, you know, because there were a lot of people that had Hawkins, um, but, you know, it, they were they were going to be phased out, 
not much longer after that because I think they quit making them in 2012. That sounds correct, yeah. I, but anyways, at that point in time, um, it wasn't, it wasn't as popular. So, um, you know, for me to just get started to something, didn't think that it was going to be something I was going to do every year or get really into it. And then when I'm like, wow, you can kill a buck with this thing later. And, um, yeah, so then I, and then I was always like, oh, you can even use your doe tag or your buck tag and it becomes a either sex tag if you buy a muscle or license and hunt that late season flint lock. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. Yeah, I don't know many people, though, that have sacrificed their buck tag for uh, an antlerless deer that time of year but that's probably just because like we were talking about earlier before we got started you know so many people are fixated that they got to shoot a buck so that's kind of a a hard one for a lot of people to swallow but i mean you hunted for a long time i mean some of them early videos i think one of my my favorite memories or, or videos i watched was uh the one i think you were hunting and hunting in the snow you had a you know white coat on i'm pretty sure you had like the old white 10 gallon hat on and you snuck up on a doe that was laying down it was like i don't know 10 15 20 yards and and shot it like that some of those videos like there was a <laughs> yeah. lot of those over the years with uh with that little cva gun and those were a lot of fun years but you kind of took a transition at some point you started upgrading guns and tinkering a little bit like how did you get exposed to you know taking i guess a next step in flintlock muzzleloaders uh, well um you know i i was making the videos and i was uh hunting a lot more flintlock and, and guys are just eating up the flintlock videos and i like making them because i was seeing so many more deer it was just equal as much as rifle season and i was still seeing nice bucks in late season uh if not sometimes more than i was in rifle season and so guys were really eating it up at that time there really wasn't anybody else doing it uh on video i mean there wasn't anybody on tv that was really you might maybe have seen a footlock hunt that's it but like somebody who was consistently doing it there wasn't anybody doing that and somebody uh believe it or not sent me um a the that long rifled um muzzleloader that i'm using now that flint lock really it's a round ball specific gun yeah uh somebody liked the videos so much that they said you know what i think it's time that you upgraded um because at that time you know to look into upgrading to a flint lock i mean flint locks were not cheap I mean, compared to rifles, a regular rifle with a scope, you're probably going to put maybe more money into a, a good flintlock than you were a good rifle for deer. Right. And, you know, people were like, why would you do that? You know, we just go out just to shoot a deer. You know, that flintlock and nobody really took took it too seriously. It was more of a traditional thing. We go out and we get to throw some lead more at the end of the season at whatever. But, like, if you really wanted to, like, no, I want to shoot a deer, and I want to make sure when I pull the trigger, deer's going to drop, and you're going to put some money into it, and then you get into all the designs, because then they're like pieces of art. Um, and I just thought, well, that's down the road. And the guy said, no, I want to send send one to you, um, and I just want to see you, you know, shoot a shoot a deer with it and on video. It was shortly right after that, another guy, a different guy, sent me some stuff saying, hey, 
uh, and there were some like um, magazines and stuff saying, "Hey, uh, you, you might want to look into dressing up, you know, stuff like that." And he says, "If you're interested, give me a call." And I thought, dressing up, uh, you know, like a period dress, right. you know, the old type. And I thought, okay, I'll give him a call. What's it going to hurt? So he starts telling me that, you know, of this whole other world of going to rendezvous, uh, where they're all dressed up and everybody dresses the part and you have a persona and you have a story and, and people are reliving that, whether it's the colonial area or the late 18, um, uh, late 1700s into the early 1800s era. And then he's like, I have a whole bunch of stuff that Number one, he goes, I don't do it anymore. And he goes, I don't know anybody that does it because the younger generation isn't interested. Would you want this stuff to get started? Because this stuff is not cheap and it's hard to find. And I said, sure. So he sent me some things like my hunting frock and a couple other things to get me started in a belt. And I just started researching and he starts sending me articles of the history of like Western PA of the settlers. And I started, and I, and this kind of helped funnel my passion for history because I liked, uh, the history of my area. Uh, I liked looking at the, the records of the history of, well, this church was here and this uh, house was here and this family started this. And this is why this road is named after this person and all this stuff. So, I had a, a little bit of a passion for history of my area where I live. And so I thought, this kind of plays right into that history because then as I'm studying what people wore, I'm reading their stories, I'm reading all this stuff, I thought, wow, I can actually relive and I can feel what it's like to hunt basically what the whole reason why we have a footlock season in the first place is to preserve the Pennsylvania heritage of footlock hunting because mm. that's where our heritage for deer hunting came from. This is what they used. So it just sort of was like, wow, this is, this is kind of fun. So looking at everything else and trying to just acquire, it took me years to, to acquire my outfit, I guess you could say. Um, and I don't have everything. Uh, there's still more things that I could get, but that's a, that's a whole area where it, it can get very, very expensive because a lot of stuff is handmade and people, um, it's not like something you can just go on the internet and just find at some regular sporting goods store. Like you got to find specific people that are making this and it's usually high quality stuff and they're the only ones making it. So it's not cheap, but usually when you have it, you have it for the rest of your life. And that's where that guy was like, I'm just having somebody just to take it over. I'll, I'll hand you some of this hand me down stuff. That's stuff that doesn't even fit me anymore. And, uh, so that's how I got started into that. That's extremely unique. I mean, I don't, I can't even say I know anybody that does that. And I, I've been around some people who are diehard deer hunters and flintlock hunters and do it every year and are very, very proficient with their flintlock muzzleloaders. But that's an area that is is kind of foreign to me. But I have enjoyed personally watching those videos and you talking about the history of it. And I, I do like your reenactment parts of it. And it, like the whole thing is is a combination of entertaining. Um, yet informative you know i 
I personally enjoy everything about the deer hunting side of things, but the history is an added bonus for me. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious too, when you talk about guns and when you go through that progression of learning about flintlock muzzleloaders, learning about, you know, history and everything else, like you had to learn a ton and you were practicing with those guns a lot. And I've noticed that, you know, it's like anything, the more you practice it, the more you learn, right? And accuracy and proficiency with those weapons are extremely important. I mean, I kind of compare, um, learning to shoot one of those similar to you know shooting archery equipment it's not the simplest thing like a like a center fire rifle with a scope you just pick it up and shoot it and you're ready to go i mean understanding how to make a hand load and do it consistently and and shoot the thing proficiently and not flinch and do all these certain things like those are all important for accuracy and i kind of want to go through like what have, what have been your experiences from gaining accuracy or, or where have been some of the biggest accuracy gains for you in your journey to flintlock hunt? I, I really think it starts at the very first time you've ever pulled trigger on a flintlock. Because if you start doing things wrong, it's just like the guy who, who arch, let's say a guy practices shooting his bow. And he's been doing it for years, but nobody ever taught him. And he's good enough to kill. He's good enough to kill a deer, right? But he's not good enough to like hit consistent groups, right? It's like the the pie plate guy. Mm-hmm. I can hit a pie plate at twenty five yards, and he can put him around in that area. But the problem is when somebody comes up and shows him, here you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong. He's going to struggle. He's going to struggle really hard to correct what he has been taught himself to do. And that's actually what happened with uh, my friend that got me into hunting, Flintlock. Um, when we hunted, he was shooting at everything. He wasn't hitting anything. He was shooting a lot, and he wasn't hitting anything. And I thought, wow. And, you know, at the end of the day, we would uh, – from hunting, he was shooting, and I wasn't shooting at anything. And I was like, how are you missing? You know, he's like, I don't know, I'm telling you, that that's just the way flintlocks are. And I said, okay. So we would get back to camp, and we set up a pop camp out in the middle of the yard of the camp, and we would unload our guns at that pop camp. And he shot and was way off, and I shot, and I just I just missed it, but I didn't hit it either. And after we left, I started thinking to myself, man, where I was, that pop cam wasn't more than 20 yards. And I said, I couldn't even hit the pop cam. I was like, what if the deer's at 50 yards? If I'm missing a pop cam down the, down out at 50 yards, that could be a gut shot. And I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is, I got in without practicing. Like I got a gun, got everything, went out, shot the gun to see how it shot shot at something and it was just we go because that's just the way flintlock hunting is you just pull the trigger at a deer and so i took that pop can and i went down to camp by myself during the season and i kept setting it up and i kept shooting and i could not hit that pop can and i thought there's something wrong i'm like but i got the gun here i'm i'm using the same powder that everybody else is using in their guns and i'm using 50 caliber they're using 50 caliber and I come to the conclusion that I was flinching real bad. And so I literally 
sat there and I remember always closing my eyes or blinking a little bit. And I told myself, I don't care if my eye burns out. <laughs> if I lose my eye, I'm going to hit this pop can. I said, don't blink. And I'm like talking to myself. I'm coaching myself. And I hit that pop can. And I kept doing it. And I kept hitting the pop can. And I kept hitting the pop can. And I said, okay, now I'm ready to go into the woods. Okay, I'm, I'm hitting a pop can at 25, 35 yards uh, with this footlock pretty consistently now. So we go out and we're hunting. And this is a funny story. I had to go to the bathroom and it's freezing cold in the snow and my buddy's making a big loop and I couldn't, I couldn't hold it. So like I'm tucked in behind a tree and I'm just getting ready to squat down. And here comes this deer right out in front of me. It was a young one. And I reach for my gun. And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it because it's a little one. And I hear my buddy and he's, he's blasting away at deer. I thought, well, he scared all the deer away. Well, then here, what I thought was mama. Here she comes. She comes right out in front of me with my pants halfway down. I'm leaning against the tree, and at like 25 yards, I drilled her right behind the shoulders. <laughs> and so he comes up to me, and I'm like putting my belt on. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I didn't go, but I said, we're going to have to get back to camp real quick. I said, after we get this thing done, because I said, I got to go. And I said, I don't know what I was going to do, because I didn't have any toilet paper or anything. But... When we got up to that deer, it was still alive, and it was right up next to a high wall. And he goes, oh, man, he goes, if that thing goes down in that creek, how are we going to get that thing out of there? We can't haul that thing up out of that, up over that high wall. I said, I'll shoot it in the head. He goes, there's no way you're going to shoot it in the head. I said, yeah, I will. He goes, that, that, you know, and he, you know, he remembers me being down at camp trying to shoot the pop can. I said, listen, I can hit a pop can. He goes, no, you can't. We were just down at camp. I said, no, I practiced. I said, I, I went back down. I said, I started shooting that pop can all up. I said, I bet I can hit that deer in the head. And I put that bullet right right through her eyes. Mm. And so <laughs> ended up finding out it was a buck that lost its antlers, uh, like a really light, small buck. Right. Like a year and a half old deer. And And then it was also right after that is when I killed my first buck with a muzzleloader so technically i killed two two buck on the first year or you know of, i guess an antlerless deer sure um the first year i ever hunted with a footlock my buddy goes out and buys the exact same footlock that i bought <laughs> for the next season and guess what he still couldn't hit, hit anything mm. and that's when i learned it's not it's not it's not the gun it it really is the shooter and some of these guys, they, they go out and they might have been hunting longer than most people, um, but they're just not good shots. They still flinch. They haven't really been taught the proper way. Um, some of those guys, you can't say, you know, maybe you should practice because then they get all upset because they've been hunting for so long. Um, but it really is something that uh, you can lower the air. Now, I'm not saying that I don't miss and that I haven't wounded a deer or anything like that sure. in flintlock season ever. Um, but uh, I think one of those things are it, it makes the difference from just shooting and shooting and shooting and not filling your tag, where a lot of most of the time when I'm pulling that trigger, I'm hitting a deer and killing it. It's usually on the low side that I'm ever missing or hitting a deer and not finding it. 
and I can only think of maybe maybe two off the top of my head that I hit that I couldn't find, and I think they were leg shots that hit them in the leg. Mm. Well, I so, think the uh, the accuracy thing is is really interesting because I've heard so many different people's theory on how to make a muzzle loader shoot accurate, how to shoot a muzzle loader accurate. And I agree with you. My experience has been my practice in fixing my flaws in shooting was the biggest leap in accuracy I had. And you compared it to a bow. I remember uh, growing up shooting a bow, I developed target panic and I was punching my trigger on my release really bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way I combated that was with mechanical means. And I shot a, a a hinge style release for years and years. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I can't say that I, that even fixed the problem. It was just a mechanical means to fix, to, to work me through the problem. It, it took me overcoming it in my mind in, in order to, to, to fix my, my shooting problem that I had there. And the same thing goes with that muzzle loader. And you talked about the flinch. It's definitely the biggest one because any minor, you know, minor movement, uh, at the time of ignition, that's going to be, detrimental to your accuracy downrange but i'm kind of curious too it was there was there anything gun wise or load development wise that you notice also made impacts in your accuracy whether it was from the cva or or the you know the long rifle that you're shooting now is there certain things you've noticed that increases your consistency in your accuracy no because everything that i've ever used was pretty much just uh with the with the gun that was given me um they had already given me specs of what they used to shoot it because it only had like 20 some rounds shot through it Mm. so they already had a load developed for it for it It was a round ball specific gun one in 66 twist so that gun um i didn't have to do anything to figure out what that gun was doing now with my CVA, it already gave me the bullets, um, and they were just like big buffalo bullets. I think they were called buck slayers, made by CVA, big lead things. And I just used like 85, 90 grain of powder um, because everybody said oh, I use 100, and then you know I got to learning more like at 100, 100 grains of powder, you're not even using up all your powder anyways. Um, coming out of the barrel, so I just started lowering it down to like 85. Um, and then when I got into the round ball, they were like, yeah, you only need 75. And I'm like, oh, well, I was probably using too much anymore, even back in my CVA. But I know my CVA was dead on at 50 yards. The only problem with my CVA back then, why I didn't kill my more deer past 50, was because it had a true glow sight on it. And that front true glow sight was huge. And at 50 to 60 yards, it covered up most of the deer. So in 2010, there's a flintlock video of me sneaking up on a big buck with a pile of doe all over the place. And I see it way out there. Um, and I could have shot at it if I wanted to. But when I pulled up, I mean, at 75 yards, that hole, it was covering up most of the deer. I just didn't feel safe with the shot because I thought, I don't know exactly where this is going to hit because it's covering up that much. Most of the time I'm sneaking up on the deer, they're less than 50. 
and I'm taking these deer out. And as long as I'm having that red dot on that body, it's hit right behind the shoulder. Um, but getting out past 50, it was, you know, the targets were getting smaller and that true close site kept getting bigger. And I just didn't feel safe with those longer shots. I always wondered what, what I was going to do. Well, then, you know, God provided me with <laughs> with a with a long rifle, and uh, uh, I can actually see out there better because I don't have that true close sight. I have those iron sights; so it's a lot easier to see stuff. I mean, I killed a groundhog at eighty yards with it. Right. Um, so, so do you prefer but, shooting yeah. iron sights over over you know your typical fiber optic sights that you see on most flintlocks nowadays? Now that, that you've made that switch, yeah, yeah, I think so um, because I think. I think it takes away from, I think you start, you almost start looking at the, the sight than the deer. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying it to is. picture myself looking at the, 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 uh, uh, the buck I shot with that 30, 40 crag. I just remember looking at it. And I'm like, man, this is covering up most, at least the, 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 at least a third of this deer it's covering up. So I just remember that front sight had like a little circle, just like a true glow dot. And I just put that circle where the top of the circle was at the top of the back and the bottom of the circle was right on the bottom of it. And it was right there where I could just see the front of the shoulder and it was just covering that whole, you know, section of the shoulder and the vitals. And I just thought all I'm doing is as long as I can keep it right there and pull the trigger, that's all I need. And so well, I'll tell you what, I even said in the video, I was going to have a hard time shooting a deer up there because the glare was hitting on my rifle and glaring off that, that front sight. And it was making it hard for me to see the deer. So with a true glow sight, if it's, it, it can almost maybe take away from, you know, it could actually make it a little bit harder sometimes. I don't know. That, that's just my opinion. Uh, unless maybe you got a really tiny, tiny true glow sight. Um, but the one that was on my CVA was it that looked big when you put it up on a deer, especially further out there. Is yes, what I'm some saying. of the some of At the 50 ones yards that, you don't even notice it. Oh, absolutely. Some of the sights that I've shot off of other people's guns and stuff like that, I agree. You know, you get that you you get this like I don't even know what I mean. There's so much paraphernalia in my sight picture that it's hard to really focus on a point that I want to shoot at and that was actually why for a duration of time I actually put a peep sight on my gun because the concept of how I was aiming was the same as my bow right I could just put uh I could put a, a a pin right where I wanted to shoot and look through that peep sight and you know when you separate the distance of your rear and your front sight you know that's an in an accuracy gain in in many cases and I really enjoyed shooting that the problem I had was I cannot find a peep sight that can withstand hunting um, and won't get broken. I, I you know, I had Lyman's ah. and uh, <clears throat> really good sights, but, you know, I, I broke them when I was using them in, in the mountains, and I, I try to be careful, but, you, you know, brush and everything else, is, stuff happens, and, you know, got to the point where I this know isn't exactly working. what you're talking about. Yep, that's what, exactly <laughs> what happened with my CVA. You know that doe that you were just telling me about that you watched on the video where I snuck up on it in the snow? Mm-hmm. Well, I left I leaned my gun up against the tree right where that deer was at, and my front sight broke off. It must have got tucked in between a piece of bark, and when I picked up the gun, it must have ripped it right off. Because when I got back to the camp, 
it was gone. And I had a hard time finding another True Glow site to replace that. And they were not cheap. And it was almost, I'm like, this gun wasn't even that much. This True Glow site's going to be worth the gun almost, yeah. you know, to replace it. And then they stick out and they're plastic. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to break this one off again. So I have that one stored just in case I need a backup for an emergency. Or if a buddy of mine wants to get in and wants to go out, I have one. Um, there was a time where my cousin came up and his was, his front lock was all messing up. So, well, I have that one now that I can, um, cause I had it sent away to, to get worked on. But, you know, talking about things about getting accuracy, I, I, I talked to the guy that, um, got me into the period correct clothing and stuff like that. He's big into muzzle loaders. And he said, you know, a lot of the Hawkins are like 148 twists. And that's what the, like the CVAs are too. Right. He goes, the thing is with those 148 twists, he goes, you don't know what that gun's going to like. He goes, there's guns that shoot round ball and conicals evenly. There's some that like conicals more than they like ground balls and vice versa. He says, really, it's, it's just tinkering around to figure out what it is. He goes, there was a gun. He says, I think it was a 54 caliber renegade. I can't remember. Um, and he says, I couldn't get that thing to shoot anything. He goes, I gave up because I, I used a whole thing of powder with all different types of loads and rounds and balls and pat everything he goes and i couldn't get anything to shoot out of that gun he goes i just gave it to a, i sold it to a friend of mine real cheap and his friend took it tried his own load and thing was a tack driver <laughs> so you know he thought you know this gun just must be something wrong with it could be a pit in in the uh barrel or something um uh, i noticed that's a little bit what happens with mine mine must have a little pit or something in the barrel because after the first shot, it's just a hair to the right. But then the second shot will, it'll bring it back in and it'll be dead on. Mm. And so, um, I'm not too worried about that with my first shot, but I mean, when we're shooting a paper at like 20 yards, I notice, I notice stuff like that. So, uh, you know, and another thing is a lot of people really don't clean their muzzle loaders. I mean, if, you got, if somebody's buying a muzzle loader from somebody, I mean, what you might want to do is get like a piece of, um, have a machinist, um, whittle, you know, have a machinist bring down a little cylinder of aluminum, uh, that's just, just big enough to slip down the barrel of your muzzle loader and have it polished, shiny on the top. And then you can get your flashlight and shine down the barrel and that'll illuminate your entire riflings and you can tell if you have any pitting in there because if you have pitting and all this stuff you guys buy used muzzle loaders or you know oh grandpa had this he only shot it twice yeah well grandpa didn't clean the gun and now it's pitted and you don't realize that because you can't look down through a muzzle loader um and see uh how bad it is, that's going to really affect whether that gun's going to shoot good or not. Uh, so some of that could be why some of these guns just don't shoot. Um, but I really think the number one thing is, is just getting over that flinching. A lot of guys put too much pan- powder in the pan. Um, that's a big one. You want to talk about four, four F versus three F. I've heard guys say it doesn't make a difference. Um, 
I use 4F. Uh, the only thing with 4F that I hear is that it could draw more moisture uh, and become damp quicker when it when it's like foggy and rainy and stuff. Have a harder time lighting. Um, but then I go. Then there's also the theory that 4F will burn quicker with a spark with a smaller spark than a 3F because you're you're more of a powder. Um, it's real fine grain, so it doesn't take much for a spark to land on something to ignite it, where 3F is more grainy. And imagine a spark bouncing off one piece before it rests on another. And, I mean, what are we really talking? You know, thousands of a second sure. uh, difference maybe. Um, so that's all the big and plus between 3F and 4F in a pan. I really think it's just whatever works best for you. But I really think a lot of guys put too much powder in their pan. They, they, they fill it up or they, they move the powder up to the hole mm. or like make a little line from the hole down into their pan. And I remember that's what I used to do. And really all you're doing is causing a bigger delay between your rifle, uh, from your pan into your barrel. Because now you have to burn through all that powder before it gets into your barrel. The best thing is you want that to be on the bottom of your pan. You don't want it up level with your hole. And the theory is, is when that spark lands down in the bottom of your pan, that it'll force, there's enough force in that flash that it will go in that barrel and set that gut, that powder off. You want the, the, the powder to jump up and into the hole, not burn itself in a line almost over to the hole and through the hole. Um, you can also buy, uh, faster touch hole liners, which is what I have with my smooth bore. I have a white lightning touch hole liner. So you have this liner that's like concave. So it brings the powder in your barrel up closer to the hole. So it ignites faster. And you can definitely tell a difference. Uh, where like my CVA was like a little screw that they machined hold, you know, a little drilled a little hole through. And it's like, you know, an uh an eighth of an inch long or more. Mm-hmm. And that that little bit has to burn through there if you're piling up your powder. If not, you're gonna have to it still has to jump through that little hole to get into their powder. So there's different ways that you can help make your gun go off faster. If you can make the gun go off faster, then the flinching, you can, you can kind of take the human error out of the flinch a little bit because the gun's going off faster. You're not going to have that. Even you may flinch, but you may not pull as much before the gun goes off. Well, yeah, and when you get into guys that are really into flintlocks and talking about custom guns, custom locks, and sh- and uh, lock timing and things like that, like that really gets into the weeds and can get confused. I get confused by a lot of that. It's it's kind of you know expert level stuff that I'm not familiar with. But you just said it the best there with the the pan powder thing. I've hunted with a lot of groups of people over the years, and you see them fill their powder up and then they close their pan and they like tap it towards the touch hole. And like I've told people, like you know you know if they're inexperienced and you know they're not going to take offense to me. You know if I can share that information with them like don't do that i think one of the funniest stories i i know with that is one of my uncles when he was just started flintlock hunting in fact he didn't even have a flintlock at that time but he wanted to go and he borrowed a friend's flintlock and came hunting with us and we had this brand new little food plot 
<clears throat> and we didn't even have a name for it yet. And uh, we, we told him the wind would be good to sit there that morning. He should try it. And a doe comes up, and it was 25 yards. And uh, perfect broadside. It was so, She was so close, I think her ears perked up a little bit when he pulled the hammer back. And, and the gun went to boom and he completely flinched and missed her by a mile and uh to this day that food plot is now called the ryan plot named after him because he was the first one to miss a deer out of it with a flintlock so you know that's the kind of stories that you just you just uh they 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 get you and those those are the things when people talk about ah flintlocks but you're right if you do the right steps properly they're very accurate, and I enjoy hunting with them greatly. It's just like anything else, though. The amount of time you have in a in day to day life to, you know, to devote to, to something like that, it it becomes tough. And I think that's why a lot of people just get, you know, uh, negative taste in their mouth about it. <clears throat> oh yeah, and, and that's where I think, uh, you know, we got to get more people into the woods flintlock hunting. I've gotten some other guys into flintlock hunting. Um, I know the videos have gotten a lot of other people flintlock hunting. Um, but I mean, even though I used to, um, you know, I, I would go in a group too. I mean, there's been videos where, uh, you may not know, but from the video, but as I'm, uh, period in acting in my video, I'm also hunting with a big group of guys that are dressed regular, you know, they're just like we're regular deer hunting in rifle season. And every now and then I'm stopping and they're watching me walk away and then walk back to the camera and walk away and walk back to the camera. Um, and so when I first started, that's what we did. We hunted in big groups of guys getting big group because all the deer herded up at that time of the year. And it's so fun when you get piles of deer running everywhere, everybody gets a shot, you know, boom, boom. When you start hearing shots going off, when the flintlock drive, it's so much more rewarding when you hear those flintlocks going off and when you hear just a rifle going off agreed because uh, you know at least the deer's close and and the gun goes off and then you're wondering wonder if they hit it or not um and all that kind of stuff and that's where you know it, i still like to do that with the flintlock um but with the flintlock it, it, I'm, I'm sort of torn sometimes because sometimes i want to just get my regular clothes on go out there and just try to film a shoot a doe because um, it, it, it's more hunting. Now I'm torn because I also like to videotape and I like making those period videos because I can kind of get into my, I guess you can say my artistic or, uh, side of filming where I'm thinking like, how does this person, what would it look like? How do I make this? I got to walk through the places where the big trees are because I want it to look like that's what it was when they came here as the settlers, you know, before everything was logged. So uh, we have a lot of old growth stuff. So I like walking through those big hemlocks and, and half the time when I'm dressed like that, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm hunting, but I'm also filming for myself. So a lot of those things I'm walking over a ridge and up the other side, just to film myself walk 10 seconds across that ridge. And then I have to turn around walk the whole way down, come back up, get the camera, turn it off. And I'm carrying that camera on tripod, ready to be extended at the second that I see a deer with my other flintlock, with my flintlock in my hand. It's not, you know, there's no shoulder strap on it. So I'm wearing down all day long with two big heavy things in each hand, just trying to film a deer hunt. But when it all comes together, it's rewarding. 
yeah, my hats are my hat is off to you because I've dabbled with the filming thing, and I've said it many times on this show. It just is not something that's for me. I don't have the patience nor the interest in doing that. But my hats off to you and anybody else who can do it because it it's very enjoyable to watch. One question I had for you, John. You know, you've hunted with uh, these different weapons, and you've had different loads. Do you have any opinions or preferences on load performance on game? Because I have my own personal opinion on that, but I'm kind of wondering, do do you see, have you seen in your deer hunting, in your own personal experiences or groups of people that, you know, certain loads or certain bullet types, conicals, round balls, whatever, do or do not perform as well on game? Well, the, the one thing with the muzzle loader is you don't have the shock value. They just punch a hole, you know. It's not like usually your entrance hole is going to be the same size as your exit hole. Uh, it's not like you're going to hit a rib and you're going to mushroom that thing out twice the, the, its width like you do a high-power rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the thing is, is there's a lot of those shots that, that I've seen, um, whether it's with a maxi ball or like, I don't know what you want to call those buck slayer buffalo bullets is what I call them from CVA. It kind of looks like a, just a heavy, thicker maxi ball type thing. Um, or the, uh, power lock or power belt, mm-hmm. uh, bullets. I had saw friends use those and all of those just seem to punch right through the deer. I have the only time I've ever seen somebody shoot a deer with a flintlock that dropped it right in his tracks, killed it like a high power rifle was uh, our friend Smoker, he had a 50 caliber, and he put a 45 caliber pistol bullet, hollow point, inside of a sabot, and put that down in his barrel. And he hit a deer at almost 100 yards, right behind the shoulder, and just dropped her right there in her tracks. And that's, that is, you know, I don't know of anything that's out there that's that type of a hollow point, um, but like most of the guys that I'm hunting with are like using maxi balls or, um, something like a power belt or something. Um, and I'm, I've never really seen anything that just goes, wow, that worked unbelievable. They all sort of just seem to punch a hole. It really does have to come down to accuracy. You really want to make sure that you're hitting the harder lungs because it's not like a rifle where if you, if you're, just back a little bit, you might shock the spine and drop the deer in its tracks. Maybe not so much with a muzzle loader. And sometimes they don't bleed a lot. I don't know what it is. You'd think with a bigger hole, you'd find more blood, but I've seen some where you follow that in the, in the, in the, um, snow and there's not a drop of blood. And then in 50 yards, then there's a dead deer with a pile of blood around it. I mean, I saw a friend do that with a, a, a power belt at 50 yards and he made a good shot. Uh, it just, it's kind of weird. Um, but other than that, there really isn't anything that I've seen that, hmm, um, like I use my round balls and I, they, they, they fly faster and they seem to hit harder, but it's not really like they're really doing anything more special than, um, you know, a heavy power belt bullet or anything like that. Some of the newer ones that are out there, I haven't, really experienced or haven't been around anybody shooting deer with them to to know what they're like um because it's been a while yeah i've seen some weird stuff with muzzle loaders um 
deer I've I've personally shot or deer I've, you know, had to go on the, the crazy blood trails with the people that shot them and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, you said it really good. They punch a hole in most cases. And that's, and, and I, any case in point, I mean, that's, I think that's the best case scenario. What you're going to get is, you know, through and through, get a, get two holes and uh, get an accurate shot. But um, it, it, like blood trails, yeah, weird, weird blood trails. I mean, I've already had it where I knew I hit the deer, and I think the only reason I found it was because I saw it where it was last standing at 100 yards and, you know, gave the deer time and went over to that area, and I was able to kind of weasel my way through some trails, and all of a sudden, boom, there I found my deer, and it was a good, it was a good shot. It just didn't bleed. Um, and I yeah. think a lot of that has to do with the way, you know, you got that, that muscle sheath on the outside of their body and how their, their muscles are tensed up and does it close the hole when the deer's running and, and prevent it from bleeding. I mean, I've seen that, um, you know, in a lot of cases, almost like you don't get an exit hole in a sense, but it's, it's like the muscle sheath yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of that really has to do with like, unless you heart sh- shoot them. I mean, if you're up high uh, and you don't have that shock value, I mean, you see what like those high power bullets do to a ballistic gel. That ballistic gel's trying to looks like it's ready to explode, like um, you know, jello in a fan, you know. But it all comes back together. Um, that's imagine what you know those high power rifles are doing to a lung shot deer. But then you know you have a, a, a 50 caliber bullet that you know big heavy bullet that isn't really flying that fast. It isn't going to have that real shock value, and and you might have a lot of those deer that drop in their tracks from you know a, a, a spine shock, you know, and they don't have time to get up because they're already blacking out because you just demolished the lungs. But if you just punch a hole through the lungs, they're going to run a lot further, and they may not bleed as much because you didn't have that shock and um, uh, energy absorption into that deer because it, most of those. Um, bullets aren't flying fast enough to start expanding that fast. Um, so I think that really has a lot to do with it. So that's where really accuracy really comes down into it. Uh, but I mean, that, that's, I mean, it really depends, you know, the type of flintlock hunter you are. I mean, there's a lot of guys that's just like what they're hearing talking about. We'll make sure you, you want to make sure your, your flint is, you know, maybe using an English flint that, uh, sparks twice as much instead of something that you bought at the store, you know, uh, that might cost you, you know, five more dollars for one flint. You know, guys are like, I'm not really interested in that. You know, mine does okay. And mine goes off and I shoot as long as it goes off as I'm shooting a deer. That's all I care. And that's where some guys are just like, Hey, all I want to do is throw lead at deer. You know, there's some of those guys that just like, I don't, I just like going out and shooting and I'm not really getting too serious about it. Um, that's okay. Uh, but I'm more like, no, I'm going to try to shoot a deer. Like, because if I go out there and I see one of those big bucks, I want to make sure I know I'm going to hit it and I'm going to practice and make sure that everything's up to tip top shape for when that happens. Um, yeah, there's part of me, like I, I get where, you know, that that's a conversation of, you know, going hunting versus being a hunter, right? I mean, I had this conversation with somebody else, and, like, you know, there's people who go out and want to enjoy stuff, and that's okay if you want to go out and you're not going to take it, take it overly serious. But at the same time, I feel a, a little animosity just because I know there's people that 
don't put their care into their weaponry and their shooting capabilities, and I don't like that from the sense that I know that game get wounded and they're, they're, they're like they yeah. don't care from that side, and that that's a hard line, and I don't know that we need to. Uh, beat that dead horse but th- i think there's part of it too that we i, I want to keep that in mind too because i want to be as ethical as possible and, and i want everybody house so you know whether it's uh on that topic or just other stuff like here's a good one you know how many times have you talked to people that or been in a hunting group where you know their their gun didn't go off and uh you know it was something something that was easily avoidable and it was just their lack of knowledge and experience like i'm sure you've been in group hunts where you know somebody had a nice buck step up and it was 20 yards broadside and the gun went click and uh you know those stories are just they bounce so much but what 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 are some of those things that you have noticed or or whether it's just different things too that happened and the gun didn't go off because they didn't do this and it would have easily be avoided by this i think a lot of things is uh guys just they put their gun away they they shot at a deer last year maybe they got one and they cleaned the gun put it away and the next time they get it out is next year season they load it up and walk into the woods and they may not know could be number one. Maybe they got some type of film of cleaning agent on their flintlock or who knows on their flint or whatever. Or maybe who knows, maybe that last spark wasn't enough spark, but it was just enough to get them to kill a deer. And they think that flint's okay. When in reality, it, maybe it was just a miracle that that gun went off the last time. You know what I mean? And they're just yeah. assuming, well, this thing's all right. And, and it's really, it really has to go down to, you know, sitting there before the season starts, uh, you know, making sure your flint hit it once or twice. You know, if you're not getting that much spark, then you might want to change it, you know. But if, you know, most people are going, oh, this thing went right off last year. It should be okay this year. But you're assuming a lot of stuff in that, that, unless you know, unless you saw it making piles of spark, you know, if not, maybe it didn't make that much spark, but it just made enough to make the gun go off. Uh, that is probably one of the biggest things is where it, it's just making sure that you have your flint. Um, and, and a lot of people are not paying attention as they're walking around. They're flip, they're holding their gun up. On, some guys have slings on their stocks, um, you know, and they're carrying it and then they're moving it this way. Then they're leaning up against the tree and they're not constantly checking their, their rifle. They're not constantly opening and opening their pan and looking or they could maybe be just be touching something they're not being careful maybe there was a lot of dew on the trees and they walk through the brush and they just get the whole lock completely soaking wet or they're touching it with their oily hands and dirty hands on their lock flipping the pan open or the frizzing open uh, there's a lot of those things because uh, like when it's snowing and raining i always keep the lock up underneath my armpit now in one way, that could create a lot of moisture up in there, but I, it's more or less down low, so I'm protecting it that way. Um, and it helps, too, when you're wearing period dress. I can wear my blanket around it and protect it from the elements. But, you know, you can just get a cow's knee and put, put, put on there, too. But I think that's mostly the big problems is just trying to get that gun to go off, and a lot of people are not prepared. And some people don't even have spare flints um, or anything. They're like, well, I didn't bring my stuff. I can't really change it here in the field. 
because it left everything at the camp. So, uh, you know, making sure that you have everything with you in the field too, extra flints, extra uh, screwdriver, or whatever you need, because um, you never know what will happen. Yeah, I had uh, a couple years ago, I had the editor of Muzzle, Muzzle Blast magazine on, and we were talking about that, and I kind of went through my muzzle loader bag with him and uh, all the gear and extra stuff I had, and I said, what do you think? He's like, I think you're ready for an overnight, an overnight, you know, getaway, honey, because you've got way more than you need, but it, at, at the same time, I want to be prepared for, for those type of things. I think another thing that I've noticed with people, too, is you know let's say you're let's say you're hunting and you get a shot at a deer um and you know you miss you reload your gun and you put some powder pan powder back in and you go off to hunting and it it goes hand in hand with what you just said about periodically checking your lock and checking your pan but you know when 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 black powder burns it's anhydrous and it will take a lot of that moisture from the air and really cake your pan. And uh-huh. uh, that's a big one I've seen people. I've seen people where after they did that, they didn't take care of their their pan the way they needed to. I mean, I'm always, uh, I always have paper towels with me or something that I can clean that pan consistently and clean my touch hole out with a pick or stuff or brush and, you know, things like that to just keep making sure it's as dry as possible periodically let let it do its thing so that way the next time the gun goes off that's a that's another big one i've noticed yeah if you carry some of them like uh little alcohol wipes with you that are like in a packet and then you can just wipe it out right there then they evac you know the alcohol evaporates everything um i have some of those in my bag um yeah, that's that's where and not cleaning out your touch hole liner after the first shot, you know, guys just assume that it's going to be clean. You, I know guys that uh, they spend a lot of time. Uh, guys that are bigger in the flintlocks than me, they spend a lot of time after that shot. They're just they're like redoing everything. They're just touching everything because it's it's almost like every shot has to go off perfectly um, because that's how they have their guns sighted in. You know, they have it sighted in that. It has to go off this fast. It has to do this because, you know, they're, they're training themselves and the gun to do the same thing every time. Um, and you don't want something to be different every time because then you're going to do something different every time, which means your outcome is going to be different every time. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. And, and that's where a lot of, a lot of this stuff is, is really just, uh, practice. Almost nobody practices with their flint lock because it's just, we just go out and shoot a deer. Um, but yeah, I think if people really took the time to, uh, learn about deer and flintlock season, most of it's just deer drives. Um, but I love being out there by myself because you can find all the deer beds. You find out where all the, all the food sources are late season. The deer all herded up. They're already pressured. You could find all their hiding spots. And I think it makes you a better hunter. I've said this before. Um, I've learned how to hunt rifle season because of my flintlocks hunting, because I'll see things in the snow that I didn't see, um, during rifle season. Cause most of the time we don't have enough snow. Um, and when I'm hunting at flintlock season, I'll see a buck or something and I'll see it go in this one direction, or I'll see some deer jump up and be like, where did they come from here? At least I can follow their tracks, figure out where they're going. And I'm like, oh, that's what that deer did. 
well, then I learned that for next rifle season. So when there's no snow and I see a deer headed off to this place or this direction, like I have a pretty good idea where that deer's going to go. I can cut that deer off and be prepared when I come up to this spot. You know, um, I think that's made me a better hunter overall, uh, especially in rifle season walking around um, because of flintlock season. Absolutely. I mean, more time in the woods you can't beat, right? Um, but you brought up a good point, though, about people uh, do it's a last minute thing, get the gun out and go hunting. Um, and you know, we're, we're bringing this episode to everybody the last week of rifle season, which we've got, you know, basically three weeks until flintlock season opens as this is uh, as this episode drops. And I, I did that on purpose because I wanted it to be an opportunity for people to be prepared to get ready if they're going to plan on doing that hunting or if they don't tag, you know, tag a buck and decide they want to go out in the late season and they want to use a flintlock, whether that's, you know, taking theirs out that they haven't used for a few years, maybe they use it every year, but they just want to get better, whatever the case may be. So, you know, if, if, it, if, if you're sitting, John, you know, the, uh, the, the last day of rifle season comes to a close and you don't punch your buck tag and, you know, you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm ready for flintlock season. What are you doing or, or what are you going to – what do you suggest somebody do to get ready for December 26th when it when it opens back up and they're as proficient as possible? Well, I the first thing I would do is, uh, you know, find somebody that you know that is – into flintlock and flintlock hunting and somebody who's serious, not somebody who just goes and just says, Oh yeah, I go out every year with a bunch of guys and, and we shoot a deer. Usually everybody knows close to one guy that is really into flintlocks, probably has a collection of multiple ones, maybe goes to muzzleloader shoots. If there's any type of muzzleloader shoots in your area, uh, or sportsman's clubs, uh, there's, there's several, uh, what they call rendezvous and shoots. Um, I know the Cinema Honing Sportsman's Club up there, they just started doing these uh, muzzleloader shoots. Um, and they, they're doing them all through the year, uh, through the summer and into the fall. Um, but at least get out there and shoot a couple shots. I mean, you have to shoot a couple shots um, before the season starts and really to make sure, and that's not just the, you know, uh, sight your gun in to make sure it's still shooting on. Um, but that is mainly to make sure everything's up to par. You're not going to be surprised with anything that's going on. Um, and I think a lot, I, I think another thing is, is guys really need to, um, really learn how to clean their guns. Um, I think having a clean gun, um, could make the difference between getting one shot off and barely putting that next round down your barrel because it's so hard <laughs> right um it, because i you know we who who hasn't seen the guy r- running the ramrod into the tree trying to drive that ball down or whatever um but i think uh, a lot of that is is just being very knowledgeable about everything that your gun is doing so that you aren't being surprised being like okay i I can't remember from last year when when this gun goes off um and and really focus and see what you're doing on paper um because most people really aren't even thinking about shooting a muzzleloader in september october everybody's gearing up for archery and stuff like that so and that's another thing i mean we have the early muzzle muzzleloader season pa and you can use a footlock in rifle season 
you know, there, you don't have to use it just in after Christmas season. Um, if got, you know, if you're, I don't know when you're going to drop this, but I mean, you can always think about that next year. If you don't listen to it in time for this year, you, you can use a footlock, um, in the early season, in the rifle season and in after Christmas season. So, you know, you can really, uh, be one with the footlock <laughs> in many ways than just in the late season. Um, but yeah, I think it really is just, getting out there and making sure your flint is is working good and you know you can at least practice if you haven't um you know just trying with a little bit of pan and powder you don't have to fill up that whole pan and it might make a big difference um when you pull the trigger when you're hunting because you might not have that big giant flash as 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 before uh in your face that's that's about all I could do and, and tell anybody uh, is is they really have to get out there and shoot a little bit. That's a great way to leave it, John. Um, you know, one of my goals that I do have at some point in my life, and I will do this at some point, if uh, if I don't tag a buck in archery season, I I do want to commit and and kill a buck with my flintlock. That is a goal to shoot a good buck with my flintlock muzzleloader and one of the reasons I haven't done it yet was because I still have not shot put it this way I shoot enough that I'm confident I can kill a deer I've killed deer with them before but there's this overwhelming uh, sense of doubt that when I go to take that next step and say I am committing to this gun and I want to kill a buck with it. And you know the chances that happen sometimes when you're in, you know, you're faced with the opportunity to, to get that, you know, that one opportunity, the buck you're after. Um, I, I don't want to miss that opportunity because I wasn't proficient with it. And I think there's a little bit of a next level practicing I'd like to go through. So that's on my bucket list and, and good. But, man, you, you shot two doe here in rifle season. So what tags are you going to have left for Flintlock? Just my buck tag, and I'm I'm if I if I'm able to get out, I'm shooting doe first thing. But that's that's only because I might not have much time. That baby might be here by that time. I don't know. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and that takes priority. So I don't even know. I don't even know how my flintlock season is going to go. I don't even know um, whether how much I'll be able to hunt or not. But you know, I start thinking, I I could have killed a buck fifty percent of the years that I've been hunting. Um, with a front lock, if not more. Um, it just seems like, especially the past few years, um, uh, these last years, that more there's more people letting uh, uh, bucks go to the next year. Um, but there's so many chances that I, if you follow the videos, you can see some of these bucks. I'm sneaking up over the big rock, and there's like a, a big seven point sand there, and he's like he's literally 25 yards from me, um, and. I, I could have shot him multiple times on, I think, two different times on two different days. And that's where, um, just knowing that you can, you can do it in front lock season and they're out there. And, uh, but, you know, I'm waiting for that bigger one. And so I'm, I, I don't know. I think I, I don't know. I haven't seen the big ones around this year, but I think if a doe presents a shot, I'm going to take it. So it's going to have to be a pretty good buck to, to, uh, punch your tag in rifle season and not get the opportunity to hunt with the muzzle loaders what you're telling me yeah yeah <laughs> yep 
nothing wrong with that. John, I, again, appreciate you coming on the show, talking uh, talking deer hunting with us, talking flintlock hunting with us. I really appreciate it. Um, I definitely want to do it again in the future. Uh, but the you know biggest, biggest thing I can wish you is a, a Merry Christmas and also congratulations on, uh, on a new baby. Do you know what you're having? Yeah, we're having a boy. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's very exciting. So a hunting partner to be for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's been fun, and uh, good luck the rest of the season, and hope you shoot a big one, and uh, hopefully you have fun footlock season also. Yep. Take care. Yep.